0: Well, all righty. I just got the cue, everybody. Uh, Well, good evening, everybody, and and, and welcome to our Wednesday night prayer and devotional service here at the Lakeview Baptist Church. Uh, It is such a pleasure, it's such a privilege to worship with you all again. I know that this is a a sacred period of time that we all look forward to. Um, I I would just ask that if you have your copy of God's Word with you, that you would turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Once again, that is Revelation singular. It's not multiple revelations. Uh, Just wanted to throw that out there. So as you're turning there with me, why don't you just join me uh, in a word of prayer. Father God, Father, we thank you for the light that has been shown in our hearts Uh, We thank you for your grace and the work of the Holy Spirit that leads us all to long for your word, to long for the truth thereof. Uh, Lord, we we just ask that by means of what we do tonight uh, and by means of the preacher, uh, that you would use your word in a transformative impact upon all of our lives. We ask that those who would need convicting would feel conviction, those who need to feel encouraged, dear God, that you would uh, bring them encouragement, uh, peace, and assurance through your message tonight. It is in the name of your beloved Son we pray. Amen. Now, one of the most uh, famous and important sayings of our Lord was when he told his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now at the time of me giving this message, I've been teaching verse by verse to the gospel of John for for really a couple of years now. And uh, we, we just last Sunday concluded our study of what we call the farewell discourse of John in chapters 13 and 16. And and what that is is Jesus' long uh, last dialogue uh, and instruction with his disciples before he goes to the cross on the night of his betrayal. And, and it's just been such a joy for me to, to work through that section. And one of the things that I have told my class over and over again is that if, if you forced me to just sum up that section with one word, uh, the word that I would choose is love. Now, that sounds kind of hokey. That sounds kind of cliche, but, but, but I really uh, genuinely mean that. Uh, the topic and the theme of love is at the uh, forefront of our Lord's message in those uh, chapters, both when he talks about the love that he has shown for the church, how the church ought to love one another, uh, being reflective of the love that Christ has shown us, and and, and it's really, you know, sort of helped me sort of realign some of my thinking and my priorities as I uh, am am forced to reckon with the fact that the Holy Scriptures and, and the words of my Savior call me to such a high standard of love, specifically for... You, for for my brethren, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And hence, Jesus can simply say that love is the calling card of the Christian. When he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, That's what distinguishes us from the world, is that you love the church. Of all of the commandments that we have in Scripture, love is preeminent. Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is like unto it that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, when, when I look at Christians, uh, and this is my own observation, my own personal uh, opinion, I, 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 I see a real, genuine desire To fulfill those commandments. I I, I really do. And that's something that brings such uh, encouragement to my soul. You're waiting for the catch. Uh, the, The problem, however, is that so many of us allow the world and allow the culture to define love. So, what, what you end up having in certain instances is Christians because they, they read uh, the word of God because they listen to their pastors that they, they want to love they want to love their neighbors as they love themselves the problem is, is they don't know what love means they don't know what love looks like and they allow our secular world which hates God to define love and so the culture that we live in, uh, in the modern uh, Western world, likes to define love as tolerance. Tolerance. In our day and age, tolerance is made out to be a supreme moral virtue. Now, even as I say that, there may be some of you, as we were sitting there, thinking, wait, is... Is there something wrong with that? Uh, and, you know, if, if, that, if that describes you, if you're sitting there wondering, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with, with, with tolerance? I, I just want to admonish you to recognize that there is a problem in that thinking. There is a problem in that thinking. For From a Christian perspective, tolerance is not necessarily a morally good thing to do. As a matter of fact, there are times when tolerance is a sinful thing to do. Now, if that sounds crazy to you, then we need to really examine ourselves and see whether we are being more influenced by the world or by Christ. So in order for us to address this important issue as a church, which is, by the way, going to influence how you fulfill another of Jesus' commandments, which is to be salt and light of the earth, Uh, I would like for us to spend some time looking at the words of Jesus found in Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse uh, 18. And obviously, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, uh, you know that it was specifically addressed to seven churches in the first century, and the first three chapters contain letters that have a specific application to those churches at that time in history, so in verse eighteen, we read, "And to the angel of the church in theatra write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. now, at this time in, in real history, uh, theatra, which by the way is in modern day Turkey, uh, was one of the most thriving Christian communities and and, and Christian churches in a very uh, industrious area. Uh, Sadly, actually, in in modern times, though, it is overwhelmingly populated by Muslims. But the word is addressed with, quote, the words of the Son of God, and that's an obvious reference to Jesus. Jesus himself is delivering a message to these people. Verse 19 read, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, what Jesus has to say in that verse is is obviously very positive. Uh, Many of us are familiar with what is written to the church in Ephesus, that they had abandoned the love they had at first. They had lost their first love. But that 's not what Jesus says here, as a matter of fact, he says that their latter works exceed the first, they were greater uh, and, and, and and you know for those of us who have served in ministry, who have been uh, in the church for any lengthy period of time and, and who have sought to do you know great things for the Lord, how many of us can relate to times when we've felt that, you know, we weren't just, we're not serving with the same passion uh, that, that we once were, and, and, and it's sort of like you've just fallen into the motion of things and you're just doing what you're doing because it's what you've been uh, doing, you know, but there's no zeal, there's, there's, there's no fire. and Sadly, it is all too often that Christians find themselves in that mindset or in that framework. And, and it is really something we must guard against. But the church in Theatra here, they had not fallen into that. They had not fallen into that slump. They were growing, they were thriving. Their, the works, the, the latter works, exceeded the first. Jesus specifically praises them for their love, faith, service, and, and their patient endurance. And there is that word love again. Jesus praises them for their love. And we know from the rest of Scripture just how important of a virtue love is for the Christian. And and I know that so many of us, like I said, who are followers of Christ just want nothing more than to be seen as loving. But loved ones, loved ones, there is a real danger which we must be cautious of. Far too often, We allow the world to tell us what love looks like rather than the Holy Scriptures. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to love like the world because the world's love is very different than Christ's love. We want to love like Christ. So far, I think everyone's with me. And so pay attention closely to what Jesus says here in verse 20 so that we can learn what love doesn't look like. There is a principle in philosophy about learning from the negative. You can learn what something is by learning what it's not, and and we sort of, I think, see that in, in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate. There's that word. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Obviously, you will find it's, you know, very common interpretation that the word, uh, or the name, rather, Jezebel, is, is likely symbolic there. The name Jezebel goes back to First Kings Uh, where we see Ahab, who was king over Israel, took for his wife a woman named Jezebel, who was a foreign woman who led the king into gross spiritual adultery, uh, serving and worshiping Baal and erecting idols to to this false god. It is written that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so... The name Jezebel is sort of picked up as a, a, a reference to an immoral woman who is going to lead God's servants astray. Uh, this, by the way, is a theme that we, we, we see throughout Scripture. Uh, earlier in Revelation chapter 2, when speaking to the church in uh, Pergamum, Jesus indicts them for holding to the teaching of Balaam, a figure who appears in the book of Numbers, who, through his wicked and deceptive Teaching led the Moabite women uh, to seduce the men of Israel sexually so as to serve the Baal. In Proverbs 7:5, and all throughout the book of Proverbs, we have a warning to be kept from the adulterous woman or the forbidden woman with her smooth words. And so what you have apparently at the church and theater, members of the church were being seduced to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols, obviously in such a fashion that they were giving worship to said idols. Now Jesus, who, remember, had just praised them for their love, now condemns them for their toleration. Now condemns them for tolerating this practice. Notice, then, love and tolerance are not the same thing. And here we see in Scripture that love and tolerance at times are actually opposed to one another. The word translated as tolerate here comes from the Greek afiemi, which carries this sense of like loose sort of permission, uh, you know, to leave something alone, to, to let it go. And, and so to tolerate something, it, the, the way that the word is being used here, Does not necessarily mean that you are positively campaigning for or supporting it. So, you know, the church here in Theatra, you know, it's not that they were necessarily encouraging or advertising the sin and the teaching of Jezebel. It's not as though the elders of the church are uh, preaching sermons uh, in support of it or they're inviting the so called prophetess to speak or hold a conference to explain her teaching, it was not as though they were making signs encouraging her teaching or her ways, none of that at all. It seems that these were Christians who recognized that the behavior was wrong. The indictment that Jesus has for them is not that they were positively encouraging sin or false teaching, it's that they were letting it be that they were leaving it alone, that they were tolerating it. That is the sin of the theatrons. Now, I think this is a word that all of us seriously need to hear and to consider uh, when it comes to, to false teaching uh, and the sexual sin and depravity that is celebrated in our day. There are so many Christians who think that the loving thing to do, because remember that the desire that so many Christians have is that they want to be loving because they read uh, Jesus' words and he says to love your neighbor as yourself and they say, okay, well, I want to do that. I want to be a loving person, but they just don't know what that looks like. And so in their attempt to be loving, they think, well, you know what, I... I just don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to come off as uncompassionate or any of these things. And so they tolerate sin, false teaching, depravity, practices which God abhors. They tolerate it without ever speaking out against it. There are quote-unquote pastors out there who would refuse to ever say anything about it from the pulpit and you need to know something, Christian. If I'm describing you, you're in sin and must repent. You see, my fear is that for those of us who come to a church like this, which holds to conservative values when it comes to family and things like that, is that we will drive past the church over on Main Street with their rainbow flag outside, and we will judge them. And in our hearts, we will think about how crazy and how ludicrous That is, which we should, but then we will content ourselves thinking that, well, we're okay, we're not as bad as the openly affirming churches when we are not willing to make a positive stand against sexual immorality and depravity and a positive stand for truth, righteousness, and justice. And I want you to know something. Jesus came preaching a revolutionary message in the first century saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you read the Old Testament scriptures, you will know that when Mashiach, the Messiah, was to come, his kingdom was going to be a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of justice. That's what characterizes the kingdom that Jesus has brought. And so if we are not supporting righteousness, if we are not supporting justice, we are not supporting Christ's kingdom. You see, if we judge the church on Main Street for the rainbow flag, but we stay silent on these issues, and we never actually proclaim to the world where we stand on these things, we are being hypocrites, and no better than they. Remember, the sin of the church in Theatra was not that they were positively in support of Jezebel. It was that they left Jezebel alone. They tolerated her. You know, you may think that it is loving to say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to stay silent. I just, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to create any conflict or any controversy. I'm just, just going to keep my mouth shut, let someone else do that. But really what you're doing is you're being selfish and hateful. You say, well, how is that selfish and hateful? Because you and your sinful cowardice are so afraid of creating an uncomfortable social situation or of having people look at you like you are a rube uh, and a Puritan that people are going to think you are some kind of backwards, uneducated, unintelligent Christian. You're so worried about people judging you and criticizing you that in your cowardice you are too afraid to tell the person who is enslaved to their sexual sin and false worldview that they are actually present tense abiding under the wrath of God. You only care about yourself and you don't really care about them. If you are not willing and too afraid to tell people of the Savior who has the power to redeem them from their sin, then you are not loving. You are not loving loving because forgiveness, salvation, redemption, those are real things. And those are promises that are available to all who shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I want you to know something, that there is no sinner who has sinned so much that Christ is not willing to forgive them the fact of the matter is God has chosen to save sinners through one means and that is the preaching of the gospel. And if those who possess the gospel are not willing to preach the gospel, if we are if we light a lamp and then we put a basket over top of it, then we are not doing what Christ has called us to do. You say, Logan, but if we start saying these things, we are going to be ostracized. We're going to be called names. People aren't going to want to come to our church. And to all of that, I say, So? Who are you trying to impress? Uh, who are you trying to serve? Christ or the devil? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness? The Lord or the world? Verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. The Lord here speaks to the reality that sin will not go unpunished. Jesus says that he will, quote, throw her onto his sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. It it would seem to me, just on an interpretive level, that those who commit adultery with her and her children are the same group of people. Uh, The language of Jesus here is a far cry, a far cry from what we normally think of Jesus as. If you Look, in any Sunday school room in, across the United States of America, you see Jesus drawn as just the gentle, meek, mild. He's got the, the cute little lamb in his arms and that kind of thing. But here in this text, he gives an appearance much more akin to his behavior when he saw his father's house being perverted and zeal consumed him. Here he promises destruction and death, pain to those who partake in the depravity of Jezebel. Ought this not to be the warning that the church gives to the world? One of the most fascinating things I, I have ever seen in my life was a clip of the famous atheist and magician, uh, Penn Jillette, Penn pen and Teller. Uh, and, and, you know, he's, I don't know how you make a career as an atheist. What do you talk about every week on your radio show? Like You still don't believe in God? I don't get it. But at any rate he actually said something that I thought was very challenging. He said that he had no respect for Christians who did not proselytize. His argument was something along the lines of, you know, if you truly believe that there is death and destruction uh, and, and hellfire coming my way and you don't try to warn me about it, that's, well, that's essentially hateful. And, and by God's common grace, I think that the man has something of value to say there. Uh, It's very easy, very socially acceptable to play the card of, well, the sort of libertarian, well, if you don't bother me, I'm not going to bother you uh, type of thing. But Christians are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The church and the scriptures is called the pillar of truth our calling and our responsibility should be to proclaim to the world all of Christ's message. Was it not the case that in the Great Commission our Savior told us that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to me? He says, go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them what? To obey all of my commandments. That's our responsibility. And and, and so however unpopular it may be, we as a church are not doing our job if we are not willing to stand up for the most important issues of our day. Luther, at one point in, in, in his life, said something like, it, "It doesn't matter how many fires you put out if you're not willing to even address the largest fire that's consuming everything." You see, it's you know, if you come out, and you know, if I were to come out and I'm and I were to publicly declare. Everyone, Lakeview Baptist Church, I just want you to know I am against racism. I'm against it. I think it's evil. I think it's horrible. Now, I'm right. Racism is a horrible, evil sin. Uh, But guess what? No one disagrees with me when I say that it's wrong. So I'm not, not doing anything worthwhile to just say that. But if I, based upon the same authority that I say racism is sinful and wrong. If I based upon the same authority say, well I think that the whole LGBTQ agenda is wrong, that's when I'm gonna have people coming after me. You see, if I if I'm willing to to, fight the battles where everyone's on my side, that's not courageous. That's not virtuous. You're not doing anything. It is when you are willing to be slandered. It's when you're willing to be hated. That's when you are showing the kind of Uh, courage that that I believe Christ would have us to display. And and the reality is we much preach the message of repentance. Why? Because repentance is what leads to life. That's that's the thing there. You see, and if men and women do not think that they need to repent, they will never find life. Uh, Jesus said that it's not the healthy who need a physician, it's, it's the sick. And so if we don't Tell anyone of their, of their sickness that they need a physician, they're not going to seek him. So in verse 24, he says, But to the rest of you in Theatra who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you another burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. There is then here, I promise that the faithful ones, who have not made themselves unclean with the filth of Jezebel's whoredom, who do not hold to this false teaching, that Christ will not lay on them any other burden. He simply, what he says to the faithful Christian is, keep going, keep going, just hold fast until I come. Now, because of the nature of the kind of message I chose to give tonight and some of the things I've said, I, I recognize that may not be the types of things that you're used uh, to hearing. And so I want to address a potential objection that might be raised, and we'll kind of close with this, because so often you'll hear people say, well, but didn't Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, And therefore, we shouldn't be judging anyone. We should just tolerate them, right? Well, now... We have, I believe, in Revelation chapter 2 here a solid defeater to that argument, but because of the widespread mis- misinterpretation of what Jesus was doing when he ate with sinners, I shall take the time here to address that. It is true, and it is undeniably true, that during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, he could be seen at times reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners. But to suppose that what Christ was doing in these instances was tolerating their sin is to completely, and I mean completely, miss the point. And I actually already gave you a hint earlier on, but so when the Pharisees heard that Jesus was eating with task collectors and sinners, they were appalled. They, they, they were appalled at this because they wrongly thought that this meant Jesus was approving of or tolerating their sin. Uh, And when Jesus hears that the the Pharisees are criticizing him, that is when he gives his famous statement, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, Matthew 19, verses 12 and 13. So then, if Jesus is to be believed, which he is, that's a safe thing for me to say, uh, well, then the purpose of his dining with sinners was not to approve of, not to tolerate their sin, but to call them out of it. He, calls, he compares himself to a physician healing sick patients. And so, therefore, the purpose of Jesus' dining with sinners was not to approve of their sin or lead them in their sin. It was to save them. It was to save them from their sin. That's the liberty that we have in Christ, is that we're not enslaved to our sin anymore. So what we learn from this, which gives a very practical application in our lives, is that God's grace and God's forgiveness are available for all who will repent and trust in Christ. The book of Revelation goes on to promise that God is going to save a multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And and thus, when we proclaim the intolerant message that sin and false teaching leave someone under condemnation we can fully trust that the holy spirit will use that message to bring people under conviction and to bring them out of their sin but if we think that by tolerating sin we are doing what jesus did or what jesus would want us to do then we don't understand why christ came into this world in the first place he came into this world to seek and save that which was lost not to leave it alone he came with a purpose Uh, you all know the verses. The angel told told, uh, Joseph, and his name shall be called Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from his sins. Jesus said, I come to do the will of my father, and it's the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of what he's given me, but to raise it up on the last day. Jesus came into this world to save you from your sin. So you do not have to live a slavish life where you are enslaved to your flesh, you're enslaved to your passions. I promise you that all those who come to Jesus Christ as Savior will find Him to be a complete and total Savior. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw nigh to God through Him since He ever lives to make intercession for them. And He is able to uh, save and, and help and sanctify those who are being tempted for He Himself knows what it's like to be tempted. Yet... One difference, he never gave in. He never had sin. And so, like I said, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all of these people, including you, who come to Christ. And so, therefore, as we seek to follow Christ's teaching, which is to be intolerant of sexual sin, we do not do so with a bleak outlook. So many Christians that I know are so... It's like they've taken the black pill. It's like they just look at the world as just doom and gloom and it's just... But, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, is I know a God in heaven who can save any sinner he pleases to save. And so let us go out into the world and obey Christ's commandments trusting that the word of God will not come back null and void. And with that being said, our brother Bill is going to come and close us in prayer.